We're back into our series on the book of Ephesians. And we've got to chapter 4, and we're looking at verses 17 to verse 24. Verse 17 to verse 24. Now, words come in and out of fashion. There are all sorts of words. Some are really fashionable. You use them all the time because they're things that people are talking about. And then sometimes they go out of fashion as if they've lost their job in one sense. And one of these words that's gone out of fashion is the word character. Character. And character is not in fashion today. Character meaning stability, virtue, faithfulness, goodness, trustworthiness, reliability. You see, today the words are different. Success, fame, wealth. Well, here in chapter 4, verse 17 on, a change happens in the writing of Paul. Because from now on, he's going to talk about Christian character. He's going to headline Christian character. The emphasis of the rest of this book is going to be character building. He's talked about theology. He's talked about atonement. He's talked about what Christ has done. Now he's set all that down. He's going to say, right, this is what we've got to do. So from now on, the emphasis changes in the book of Ephesians. From now on, we're not talking so much about the doctrine, but about the ethics. Not so much about the theory, but the practice. Because Christianity, in the end, doesn't work if it's not practiced. It doesn't work. Actually, it's not Christianity, it's something else. You can make up your own name for it, if you so wish. And this is how Paul writes a number of his letters. Book of Romans is the same. Book of Colossians. Book of Galatians. In other words, he sets out the theology and the doctrine, and then he says, now then, as a result of this, your life has got to change. There's going to be some character building. You see, the best illustration of doctrine is character. It's the best illustration. If you want to win people for Christ, one of the best ways you can do it is to be an active Christian. One of the ways. This week I've been studying um, uh, the early church fathers, believe it or not. Some of you will uh, uh, know who I'm talking about. And uh, every now and again I go back to the early church fathers and uh, just read what they were saying. It's fascinating, utterly fascinating. Not everybody's cup of tea, it's fair enough. But they're really interesting because they talk about Christianity before Christianity became popular, before it sort of dominated the Roman Empire. And they speak about, they write what are called apologies. Now, apologies, when we think of apologies of the fathers, it is an apologia. It's a reason for why we believe. And they would write it and address the people who were persecuting them. 
Justin Martyr wrote addressing the, the government of the day, the Caesars of the day. And another man writing of the second century writes to Marcus Aurelius. And his name is Athenagoras. Brilliant writer. I love lots of the things he says. And you can get all these on the web. All right? There's some great passages. I just want to read one passage. Do you mind one little passage? One teeny bit of uh, early church fathers, okay? Listen to what he says. But among us, he's talking about Christians, and he's writing to the government of the day. But among us, you will find uneducated persons, and artisans, and old women, who, if they are unable in words to prove the benefit of our doctrine, yet by their deeds exhibit the benefit coming from the persuasion of its truth. They do not rehearse speeches, but exhibit good works. When struck, they do not strike again. When robbed, they do not go to the law. They give to those that ask them and love their neighbours as themselves. In other words, he argues for the truth of Christianity partly through the changed lives of Christians. And he's not the only one who does that. He says much more, of course. And other writers, like Clement of Alexandria, concentrate more on the philosophical side. And this is what we really want to emphasize over the next few months, a few weeks, sorry, the next few weeks. In chapter 4, verses 17 to 24, Paul gives us the general answer to how to build Christian character. The general answer. We'll be looking at the specifics later. But he gives us three key points. And I want us this morning to go away with these points. The key to understanding uh, growth in Jesus Christ. So the passage you can keep open is chapter 4, verses 17 to 24. To grow in character, Paul argues that firstly, you've got to think differently. You've got to think differently. Part of the problem in character is that people think wrongly. This is what he says in the context. Listen to the verses. Verse 17. He describes the Gentiles in the futility of their thinking. There's something wrong with their thinking. In verse 18, he goes on. Darkened in their understanding. The ignorance that is in them. Verse 21. Taught in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. There he's talking about positive thinking. Taught. Teaching is really important to the church. That's why we have a pastor. That's why we have leaders. That's why we encourage Bible teaching. Teaching is important. Again, the word taught is repeated in verse 22. And then 23. Made new in the attitude of your minds your minds. For Paul, transformation of character begins with a transformation of thinking. Lots of people say, you are what you eat. Yeah, that says a lot about lots of us. Okay, you are what you eat. Well, it's very, very true that you are what you think. 
That's really, really true. You actually become what you think. That's where it all starts. So if we are serious about transforming our lives, we must have good Christian thinking. It's easy to be in a mental fog when it comes to the truth of Christianity. We don't want to be like people around who don't understand in the futility of their thinking. Rather, we want to think as God wants us to think. We want to believe what God calls us to believe. And Paul understands that, and he seeks to make it very, very clear. Think differently, he says. Get a new mental attitude. Let me illustrate. Our thinking leads to our actions. For instance, what you believe about an unborn child will determine your attitude to abortion. What you believe about an unborn child will determine your attitude, what you think. What you believe about God's holiness will determine how you live. It will. What you believe about God's power will really sort of uh, get you to take action on what is right or wrong. If you, if you don't really believe in God's power, you're not going to take action. If you do, that might lead you to taking action. What you believe about the value of your neighbour will decide how you treat your neighbour, whoever your neighbour is. What you believe about your health will actually affect your health. And we could go on talking about all these things. We need to think. God invented the mind, not the devil. I've said this many times from this pulpit. I will keep repeating it. You do get preachers who say, you don't need to think about this. You just need to. That's nonsense. That's heresy. God gave us our minds, and we need to use them. In the 19th century, a man named Henry Drummond, very interesting character. It's possible that you've read one of his books. He became famous through one book, and the book was the greatest thing in the world. Maybe some of you have read it. It's an exposition of 1 Corinthians 13. I wonder, has anyone ever picked that up? Could you? You haven't. Henry Drummond, fascinating character. He became an associate with D.L. Moody, if I remember correctly. Very interesting character. Anyway, his biographer, I read about him a number of years ago, and I just want to read how his biographer describes him. Listen to what he says. In the prime of his teaching... He sought to win reason of men for religion. This was always his first aim. He had a horror of rousing the emotions before he had secured the conviction of the intellect. He always began by the presentation of the facts, by the unfolding of laws, and trust in these and obedience to them was his teaching of religion. Language itself, he said, must be subordinate to thought. Oh, I love that. I love that. I'm about that. You know, if, if I die and you give me a nice funeral, please do, okay? Give me a nice funeral. If someone could read that, I'd be very, very happy. Okay, very happy. Language itself 
must be subordinate to thought. To thought. And you say, oh, let's, let's not get intellectual. God gave us minds. Hallelujah for giving us minds. We'll see. He gave us emotions in a second. But I'm on the mind at the moment. In his great work called Spiritual Depression, Welsh preacher named Martin Lloyd-Jones really emphasizes the need to think rightly. It's one of the great books on growing as a Christian. It's a terrible, whoever named the book, it may have been Lloyd-Jones himself, I don't know, but it's a terrible name. It's as if you're going to be spiritually depressed to read it. It's not. It's about Christianity. It's about Christian living. It's a great read. Can I, I'm just checking if anyone's ever read that. Or you have read that. Would you agree with me on that? Is that fair? It is fair, isn't it? Isn't it a cracker? It's, it's a powerful book. And I do want to recommend, so these are my recommendations for reading this morning. We are called to understand. Christ aimed at the mind and he sought to persuade people. He doesn't ask us to switch that mind off. Secondly, so the first thing is think. Secondly, recognize the power of feeling, of feeling. Some people need to remind themselves that God also invented feeling and emotions. Okay, we're all different. Listen to how Paul speaks about feelings, both negatively and positively in this chapter. Verse 19, he speaks of the Gentiles given over to sensuality, indulging in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. In verse 22, he speaks of deceitful desires. In other words, our desires are flawed. Not everything we feel is right. We all know that. We all know that. But, you know, we can be brought down by our desires. Sensuality can be so indulged in our lives that we go downhill quickly. This is the nature of addiction. All of us have been addicted to different things, and here we have all sorts of addictions. Wonderful collection of addictions, all sitting here in church. That's great. All right, that's great. From eating too much, to drinking too much, to taking too many drugs, to doing this, to doing that. And here we are. All of us will be addicted to anything, whether it's shopping, all right, or book collecting. That's a good thing, um, right? Uh, right? We understand the power. We understand the power. And because of that, we need to influence our desires through our thinking. Good thinking, not bad thinking. Good thinking. Because in the end, and this is why these things got to come together, it's not enough just to understand we've got to want. We've got to want something. Liberal thought in the 20th century, sort of, uh, well, before the 20th century, actually during the Enlightenment, and uh, you might have read Emile Rousseau, all right, the 18th century educationalist, fascinating character. He wrote one of these tell-all autobiographies, which is awful, awful. 
he thinks he's... And generally what he's saying, and actually the reality is this, thinking today in the 21st century is very Rousseau-like. Rousseau-like. Which says, do you know, we just need to find ourselves. And that can be okay. We just find ourselves. Because when we find ourselves and just be ourselves, everything will be all right. Nonsense. I don't want to be myself. My whole problem is I want to be better than myself. People say, oh, he's found himself. The hero of today has found himself or found herself. And everyone claps because they found themselves. No, no, no. Don't applaud that. Rather applaud people who manage to change. Not just found themselves. I don't like lots of things about myself. They need changing. They need adjusting. And liberal thought said, well, just educate people and they will change. Yeah. Yeah, great. Great. Feelings are God-given. Let me emphasize that. A godly person feels sorrow for sin. Emotions of love are a reality to man and to God. He or she will find joy and happiness. Strong, positive desire is excellent. That's why we're different to Buddhists. I don't want to knock the Buddhists. There's nobody here maybe to answer back. But let, let me say this. Generally speaking, you hear this. The thing is, we need just to lose all desire. We just lose desire and find no desire in the end. No, 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 no. It's not lose desire. It's get the right desires. The right desires. Positive desires, not negative ones. That's what we need. And we need to get our thinking on the positive ones. I've often uh, talked about eating because I love eating. I love... I went out for a date with my wife yesterday. And we went out and we had a pizza in this really nice place in Georgetown. It was a country club. Oh, it was gorgeous. The pizza was wonderful. I'm even thinking about it now. And it was just right. It was a flatbread pizza with cheese and tomato and just the right. It was great. And you know, as I'm speaking about that, some of you are thinking, mate, do you know, maybe I'd have a pizza. I quite fancy a pizza. That's, that, that's right. Mm. Yeah, that's a good idea. Where did you go? But, by talking about certain things, you can feel hungry. And I love talking about food. When I, when I, when I, when I go and visit many of uh, our seniors who are in homes, and we talk about food. And at the end of the conversation, I just want to run out and get an Indian meal or something like that. We need to get our spiritual taste buds growing. Growing. With this whole COVID issue. One of the signs that you've got COVID is you lose your smell, your sense of smell, and your sense of taste. Many people have experienced that. Well, the COVID of the soul is you lose your smell and taste of religious things and godly things. That's why we need to be called to a higher standard. A higher standard. But lastly... 
We've talked about what we believe. This is going to be so simple. This is so simple this morning. What we believe should influence what we desire. Okay, got that? Believe, desire. This is so basic. But even those two together aren't enough. You need one other thing. And that one other thing is to act with the will. To act with the will. I love this part of the sermon. And Paul actually calls us to do it. Listen to how he speaks. Verse 22, verse 24. Put off your old self. Take it off. <laughs> take it off. Do something. You've got an old self. Right, begin to take it off. But don't just be negative. Put on the new self. Use your will. Act on what you know and what you feel. Do it. People say, walk the talk, test the theory. I do like the t-shirt, just do it. I do like that t-shirt. That can be taken too much, you know, it's a bit extreme, but, you know, there's much more to life than just do it. I accept that. But there's a part of life to just do it. And sometimes you need to tell people, stop, stop going on about it. Just do it, for goodness sake. Do it. My mind goes back. It's not my notes, don't worry. <laughs> my mind goes back when I, when I, when years and years ago, I used to be a youth leader. And we take all these youth, uh, and we would take them, and I've talked about this before, rappelling, is it? Rap we call it abseiling in Britain. Rap rappelling? Rappelling, right? Rappelling. And uh, we take them, and they were very safe. They were very safe, but we did some good cliffs, and we had, you know, we had experts there. And what they had to do in rappelling, you know the thing, you had to stand on the edge like that, okay? You have to stand on the edge like that. And then you're going to let yourself down. And what you're going to do, you, can't, you mustn't bend your knees. So you've got to trust the rope. And you're walking down this thing. Oh, it was great. It was great. It was great to see the cool dudes. You know the cool dudes in youth. You know, impressing the girls. And, you know, they're coming. And they're scared. <laughs> They're scared. You can see they're scared. This is not something they've done before. And others who are just, you know, 12 years old, didn't care to, yeah, ooh, off we go. But I can remember a number of them. I always remember one. And if, if anyone in Wales hears this, tell Caroline that I'm using her in an illustration. And Caroline, she was about 14 at this time, she had big hair. It was big hair day. They all had big hair, all the girls. And before coming to youth, they'd put their hair down, hairspray it, and oh, they were, they were classic. So we went up to the top of this cliff, and, you know, we put her there, and everyone wanted their turn, and she was on top of the cliff. And, uh, and the person said, now, you've got to lean back. You've got to lean back. So she goes halfway down, and then she panics, and she begins to scream. Ah, I don't know what to do. Ah, ah. And oh, she was screaming and shouting. Oh, it was, it was wonderful. But everyone wanted their turn. She was holding everybody up. And you know, people trying. And in the end, most of us were saying, just do it. <laughs> just do it. Stop it. Go on. And you know, she did it. And you know, the first thing she did was run up all the hill and do it again. And again. 
and again. Because she did it. And I think the problem with many Christians is they never do it. So they never get confident. You've got to do it. Whatever's in your life at this time that's holding you back totally, and you're arguing about it, and you're, you're saying, am I strong enough? Am I this? Am I that? You know about it. You feel maybe you should do something about it. Do you know what time is coming when you're going to say, just do it? You've got one life. If you're a teenager, you can only be a teenager once. If you're in your early 20s, you can only be in your early 20s once. And we can go into our 30s and 40s and 50s and do that. We won't go into our 105 or anything like that. Don't worry. Okay, Frank, we won't, we won't mention that. But you know, you're your age once. Don't waste it. Do it. Go on. Go on. Go on. Let yourself down. Know, feel, do. You can put them in lots of different words. Believe, desire, act. Whatever fits. See the point. I'm not making them up. They're there in the, in the text. Read the text. Find out what the text says. I wouldn't teach you anything that's not there. But if you want to move on, if you want to build character, if you want to be different, think differently, feel differently, and then you'll act differently. And because you act differently, you'll think even more differently and feel even more differently. And, and it just goes round. But get the, the wheel going. The wheel of your spirituality. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. We all have cliffs that we've got to climb down. All of us have our fears. All of us know areas that we've got to do something. Areas that are holding us up. God in heaven, we ask. Help us in faith to make moves that are good and right. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.